0: For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a familiar chorus refrain that thumps its echo through so many chancels, on Easter Sunday morning. Just in hearing the name of it, I can tell you that the bass line and the tenor line each equally just are right there, available to me. And I suspect there's so many of you that have also sung it, whether as a congregation or part of a choir, that when I just say the title, the Hallelujah Chorus... You're already hearing, King of kings and Lord of lords, for he shall reign forever and ever and over and over again. It is so often sung on Easter morning because it is absolutely fitting a proclamation of the victory that our Christ has won through his taking on life again after death and guaranteeing us life forever. And yet... So many people, if they listen to an entire recording of that particular work or perhaps attend a performance and have never experienced the entire work before, are stunned, they're surprised by the fact that the Hallelujah Chorus is not the end of the Messiah. There's more to be said, there's more to be celebrated and understood this masterwork that takes the words of Scripture itself from Old Testament through New Testament into Revelation, painting the understanding of all the promises and all the reasons he had to come, everything that he fulfilled in prophecy, and all that he's doing now as the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're not familiar with how that mighty piece of music ends, it ends with another chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and wisdom and honor and might and an amen that repeats itself for all eternity. It's a fitting way to end that piece of music. It's a fitting way to end any proclamation of the Messiah from the Scriptures. Did you catch how interesting these lessons are on this particular day as they play off of each other? Doesn't the gospel lesson leave you kind of hanging? It it finishes with Jesus being taken out to the cross. But the other lessons in the psalm of the day have already set the tone for your and my understanding of what this day is all about. We have a king who is different than any other king we will ever experience, especially in the human reality of history we have a king who is willing to do everything necessary to save his subjects to save the souls of his lambs and his sheep to the point of degradation abandonment and abuse to the point of death on a cross the most humiliating death ever experienced by any human being but he was more than a human being. He was God having taken on human flesh for the purpose of experiencing human death. At the empty tomb that first Easter morning, the angel said to those who came to find an empty tomb, why are you looking for him here? He told you what would happen. He has risen just as he said. throughout the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles, the resurrection is offered us as ultimate proof that Jesus was everything he claimed to be and accomplished everything he said he came to do. He is the Son of God and yet human. He's able to offer his life into death for the payment price of humanity, and God has accepted that voluntary death even though he was sinless and perfect. As the necessary payment for the sins of all people that you and I now stand approved to live in God's sight forever. This chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians that's recorded in the scriptures, this chapter 15 is known as the great resurrection chapter. And we spend a lot of time in this chapter, during the Easter season, numerous years. Some of that time, even on Easter Sunday morning itself, when a portion of this chapter is chosen for the epistle lesson. But this portion is saved for this day for a reason so that you and I will come to know and understand and praise our God for the fact that he has, as our king, not only fought but overcome every single one of our enemies. And ultimately, that he has conquered and defeated the final enemy, death itself. You and I battle death on a daily basis, don't we? When you think about it from that perspective. We're doing everything we can to keep ourselves safe and healthy and going. And there are all kinds of elements vigorously opposing that reality. And the older you get, the more you feel it on a daily basis, all the things that you're working against just to stay alive and healthy and upright and useful in the world in which you live. Jesus' existence as a human being took that a step further and then another step. And another step, as you see, especially the last hours of his life, how every last possible force that was available to work itself against him with power did everything it could to defeat him. And you and I should find that so remarkable. It's easy for us to kind of compartmentalize the life of Jesus, but it doesn't work in the way that it often works in our minds. Just because the first Sunday of Lent is the focus where we look deeply at Jesus' three big temptations in the Gospels from the devil, doesn't mean those are the only times he was tempted. In fact, the New Testament clearly makes the case of just the opposite. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin over and over again, every day, day in, day out, from infancy to the moment he said it is finished on the cross, there were tremendous temptations and overwhelming enemies to continually battle because they knew. Just one moment, one thought, one desire, one demonstrated weakness, and it's all over. He never raises himself from the dead. He remains a dead body in a borrowed grave, proving that he was just as sinful as you and I and every other human being and couldn't possibly save anyone else. But that's not what happened. Indeed. He rose from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come. Understand what is our focus today and what we're being told here. This all starts with Adam. Eve was part of it all too. But Adam ultimately, in the New Testament, gets the full blame, deservedly so, for seizing that moment, that mind-bending moment when he chose what he wanted over what God wanted and dismissed God's dominion God's reign over him as a creature. And chose to join the forces of all those who had already rejected God's perfection and God's glory to work against God for all the rest of history. Every human heart, every human soul, every human mind has joined that effort against God. Working our own ideas, working our own plans, working our own philosophies day by day. Ignoring the truth of God, ignoring the will of God, ignoring the advice of God, which is stellar in every way we could measure it on every element of our lives. God always has a better plan that will bless us. But we still choose to follow Adam, doing things our own way. And so here we're told... Just like Adam brought the chaos that we live on a daily basis to the reality of human life, so we have a second Adam, a champion, who with his perfect living, his innocent dying, his triumphant rising in our place guarantees us life too, but not just us who believe and trust in him as our Savior, our God, our King, but all humanity. Every human soul that has ever lived will rise. And everyone will acknowledge him as the king that he is. The king of life, the king of eternity, the king of the universe, the king of absolutely everything. But ultimately, at that last moment, when he returns to end time, he will bring back with him those who have trusted him, those who belong to him, those he's shepherded through life and into eternity to be now welcomed into the everlasting reality of life after death. And notice what it says here. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. What this is telling you is there will be a moment, that that moment just before Christ returns, when the last human being will take their last breath. Not meaning there won't be any life on the earth, But rather, no one will ever have to experience death again. There will be that last dying human being. But in the next moment, Christ in all of his glory will come with the trumpet of God ripping the skies apart, signaling the end of life and time as we know it. But understand what this is saying. Yes, Jesus has risen from the dead. Yes, he has been exalted again after his time of humiliation in doing the work necessary when he took on a human nature and human flesh to be our champion. And yes, he has ascended to the throne of God wearing that human flesh where he still reigns as God, but he is still on a daily basis battling his enemies and ours. He's battling sin, he's battling death, he's battling the devil and he's battling every single force that worked against him while he was here as one of us for our good, as our champion. And all of that's playing out over time as more and more human souls are born, are brought to faith through the work of the Spirit, through the sacraments and the Word, and... Die in faith to live with him forever, waiting that time when he will return in glory, when death will finally be done. Death finally will be set as a no longer possible reality for any human being. We know from the rest of Scripture that we don't want to be amongst those who have ignored God's Word and God's proclamation of how it is that you and I can live with God forever through this work of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We acknowledge our sinfulness. We acknowledge our brokenness. We'd be foolish not to, because on a daily basis we live that reality in very painful ways. For anyone to claim that they're without sin, they're just fooling themselves. It's not just me saying that. It's God saying it over and over again in His Word. But rather the opposite. and I embrace Jesus as the only hope of our salvation who has won the victory on the cross for us so that when Jesus returns in that moment, we will lift up our heads and recognize that our redemption is drawing near and embrace the moment with joy and wonder and praise. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, important, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under, his, under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. We cannot have a conversation about how God becomes a human. God takes on human nature and human form in order to accomplish everything necessary for him to be our eternal king as both God and brother without some head-scratching. The same kind of head-scratching that we'll talk about in a few weeks when Mary is told by Gabriel that she's a virgin, but she's going to be a mother and her son is going to be God in human flesh. She's like, how can this be? The answer is the same answer you and I need in this moment reading this verse. Everything is possible with God. God is using human language through his apostle here to help us understand that there came a moment in time where the eternal, unchanging, incomparable God of the universe took on flesh and human nature into himself. And while he will continue to wear that human nature long on into eternity as our king and our judge, it will not change who God is. God absorbs that into himself. And so while you and I conceive of change, when God takes on human flesh in that moment of the incarnation, God reveals it to us here as more of simply growth as God which he's certainly capable of. He's already infinite. He's already beyond our comprehension. All he's really telling us here is there's more of that that you just can't understand because your finite brain won't allow you to. I'm immense and I'm beyond understanding and I'm going to try to use some human language that you might understand how just complete your salvation is and how complete my dominion is and how complete the nature of my royalty is. When I say I reign, I mean over everything. And he proves it by proclaiming and proving his reign over death itself. What do you need more than a conqueror of death? Try to think of anything in life that you need more than one who has the key To unlocking your immortality. Giving you an existence beyond death to never experience death again. If that's all that God ever told you about, what it means that he is your king, that should be and would be enough. But he tells you so much more. And he gives you so much more detail. And it's all just enough to whet the appetite to get our minds rolling in ways that we say, well, what about, and what about, and what about? And God says, beyond your ability, far beyond your pay grade, don't try to figure it out. Listen to what I do tell you and cling to that truth and embrace what I've offered you in the salvation of my Son, your only Savior and King. And join the voices who proclaim Him such, not just in the words, but in the actions of life. Not just in singing Alleluia and psalms, and praises, and worship, but in living as subjects of a king who rules everything in this moment as he will rule all things for all time into an eternal, infinite future that we can't begin to understand beyond the reality that we want to be on the right side of all of this, and know peace and joy and love and the embracing of our God forever. And so, you and I hate death. We would rather not have to experience death. When you really think about it, I would say you're a very unusual human being if you're sitting in a moment in a Christian church hearing verses like this and you're saying, oh, no, I'd rather die first before Jesus comes in glory. No. We don't know that it won't be later today or tomorrow or the next day, and and we join the Church of History in longing for Jesus to come, to come now, to save us from the predicament that our world becomes on a daily basis. Don't try to convince anybody that things are getting better. We all know the truth. Humanity demonstrates on a daily basis that it has the capacity to invent new ways to sin and defy God and only make things worse if God wasn't saving us from ourselves on a daily basis. That's also part of his reign. His daily providing, his daily perfection, his daily intervention in blessing the lives of those he has created, those he loves, those he has loved so fiercely and continuously and unrelentingly that he became one of us to live and die and rise, to conquer the last and worst of all of our enemies, death itself. And so, sing the psalms. Sing the hymns of praise. Speak your faith in a creed. Live your faith, your confidence, your hope that you have peace with God now and you will live with God forever. And that changes everything. Because you have the best king ever. The king of life. The king of death. And the king of eternity. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.